Good morning, afternoon or evening, wherever you are in the world and welcome to the bloody awesome movie podcast. My name is Matt Hudson from What I Watch Tonight and joining me from across the pond is the only person I'd ever go into the further for. It's John Burke from BurkeReviews.com. How are you, sir? I can go no further. Um, I'm doing <laughs> okay, sir. How are you? Uh, I'm good. I'm good. I'm uh, a little bit traded today for reasons that I'll get into uh, much later on in the episode, but for good reason, yeah. though. Uh, no, I'm good. I've got a cup of tea. Uh, I know we haven't had a show for, we haven't recorded for a week or so, and it was Independence Day last week. So to celebrate, oh, yeah. I, haven't, I haven't actually put this on my sheet, but to celebrate, I watched Bill Pullman's iconic speech in the film in, uh, Independence mm. Day, which is, I know, uh, I know it gets played across all of the networks over there, my friend. So I uh, hope you all had a very good celebration over there, you traitors. Um, I joke, I jest, but no, I'm good. I'm good, my friend. Looking forward to talking some film with you. It's been far too long. But before uh, we talk about film, I must know, how are you? I know you're keeping Florida safe and well. Yeah, you know, um, I've been, uh, I'm still on quote unquote vacation, but I, I'm working on a mm-hmm. project uh, with uh, my former principal. Um, and a, a, a couple of former co-workers and current co-worker. It's a weird dynamic, but it's, it's a small group. Uh, we're building a curriculum for a local um, tourist attraction, I guess, is now how to think of it. But it's it's more than that. Um, I don't know. Have you ever heard of Bach Tower Gardens over there in the UK? I cannot say that I have. I, I think I have. Not, but um, it, it's, uh, it's just really cool. Um, giant tower it's been a part of my whole life because i've lived in this area my whole life and um it the top of the tower has uh carry-on bells which um i've learned recently through all of this uh stuff that there's only 600 of them in the world right there are these giant bell it's like a piano but with bells right um and they're huge bells i mean we're talking like t-rex size bells at the top of these towers and um uh, the, it's uh, this our tower. It's it's one of the biggest uh, like landmarks in our area. You can see it pretty much throughout the town. Like if you look at the right direction, mm-hmm. um, and uh, it's surrounded by gardens um, that are you know curated and, and manipulated. And there's like walking trails, and it's it's a very peaceful, serene piece of nature which Edward Bach uh, brought to Lake Wales many, 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 many years ago, and. Um, we're basically building a curriculum for uh, fourth grade field trips and it's been, it's been a lot of fun. So, um, and I'm in nature more than I usually am because I'm having to go to these gardens, uh, to, nice. to work on the stuff. So, um, it's, it's been a, a infrequent, but cool part of my summer Un- unexpected, but, um, kind of a welcome collaborative, uh, thing. And I don't usually teach elementary kids. So like trying to think, you know, fourth grade level <laughs> and not film related, um, not that I, of course, don't you know make tons and tons of movie references, Hell but yeah. it's not a film curriculum either. So it's it's the other part of my uh, my teaching side. I, I usually am thinking about film when I'm teaching, but in this case, it's just you know my teaching and exploration perspectives that have been uh, being tapped into, which has been a lot of fun. So. A collaboration can be fun sometimes um and also coming out of your comfort zone a little bit i guess can be uh rewarding it's always a bit of give and take there but it doesn't sound like something out of a horror movie i'll say that but with that john <laughs> that's an awful segue but i'm going to take it let's move take on it. then to tonight's film if you're new to the bloody awesome movie podcast welcome each week on our main episode, we deliver a non-spoiler review of the week's biggest, major, or most interesting release. Uh, 
we give our thoughts and opinions on it. And then in a few days' time, we drop a full spoiler review of said film. So if you haven't seen tonight's film, don't worry. We're not going to spoil it, but maybe I wouldn't worry anyway. Tonight's film is Insidious, The Red Door, which marks the directorial debut of Patrick Wilson. Uh, this was written by Scott Teams uh, and a story by Lee Wanell. And it stars uh, returning characters of Ty Simpkins, Patrick Wilson, Rose Byrne, Sinclair Daniel, Hayam Abbas and Andrew Astor, among others. Again, we don't do spoilers, but I am going to read the synopsis. The Lamberts must go deeper into the further than ever before to put their demons to rest once and for all. God damn, just reading that gave me uh, made me feel nauseous. Um, <laughs> the Insidious franchise isn't one which I'm going to say is kind of wildly popular amongst film fans. It has a cult following, but let's see how it's doing with its fifth instalment, or maybe six. Oh. Is this the fifth or the sixth one, JB? It's the fifth. It is the fifth one. That's right, because we've had... Uh, one, two, two prequels on this one. So on Rotten Tomatoes, John, the critically, this currently sits at 34%. The audience are a little bit more forgiven at 71%. Metascore has this at 45. IMDb is 6.1 out of 10. And Letterboxd is 2.7 out of 5. Uh, it's in theatres from July the 7th. Go out if you're comfortable to or want to. And check it out in theatres, as it is the only place to see this film. So it's getting panned uh, pretty soundly across the board, critically. Um, as we do with sagas, franchises, or series of films, kind of drop our thoughts up top overall on those. So for me, Insidious isn't one of the horror film franchises I look back on fondly, and I absolutely adore horror. It's a genre I grew up with. I love it. But Insidious isn't one that I've really ever gravitated to. The first film, I think, is pretty good. I do, I did enjoy that when I came out, the James Wan film. The second one is it, it, it went into the fine territory. Three and four, the last key, then be, then are prequels to the series and follow uh, Lin Shay's character Elise. Uh, so we have to we have yeah. sort of two different perspectives in this franchise from the Lamberts and Elise's, she is a, a spiritual medium and a bit of a nut job. Uh, I think anyway. So mm -hmm. I can't say that this is a franchise that I particularly enjoy. It has its moments. Sometimes it can look visually very decent. Other times, uh, not, it can look quite muted. This, it, it is very reliant on jump scares. And, uh, it's also very over reliant on Joseph Bishara's score, which is just violin screaming at you. So, I went into the Red Door, not entirely full of confidence, but um, what about yourself, John? Is this a franchise that has a special place in your heart? No, um, I had avoided most of these movies until this week. Um, I saw the first one a couple of years ago because I think I watched um, the, uh, the Conjuring and I was like, oh, I like this movie. I'll check out some of James Wan's other movies. And I watched Insidious because I'd heard people really were into it. I don't dislike the first one, but I also... I, I wasn't, like, into it. I was just like, okay. It doesn't really make a lot of sense to me. Um, this is a franchise, and I feel like this is kind of true of Juan's um, writing. I, I feel like he violates his own rules. Like, he creates the rules in the movie, and then they proceed to not follow them. And a lot of horror movies do that, and they yeah. often bug me. Because it's like, 
you're making the rules person making this movie like these don't exist this is a fictional idea you've crafted if you're gonna have a scene where a character lays out what has to happen then they should follow that or have a reason why they don't follow that and that be like part of the story but when you just blatantly ignore them that's annoying to me because you didn't have to include that rule you could have not had that rule like case in point let's say hypothetically the the creature can't see through fog so you like the character makes it foggy but the creature can still see well why did you tell us they couldn't like what's the point of that if it's not going to be a plot point or a story moment if it's just this arbitrary idea then don't include it because for people like me who are paying attention to these details it it wrecks the story and i feel like that's the whole franchise of insidious it's like here's all these rules never mind and there's no real explanation as to why the never mind it's not part of like the storytelling process and i tend to get more or less annoyed i also feel tonally i don't get these movies i don't know if they're supposed to be funny if they're supposed to be weird um there are elements that are clearly comical but then there are other elements that aren't but some of it just doesn't mesh to me and it there's a moment i think in lost key it's either three or lost no it's three it's three when uh she she names lynn right that's the character's name um she names the further and it's as arbitrary as solo getting his name and freaking uh solo and it's just like well that speaks volumes to this whole franchise like she just randomly like we'll call it the further and like oh man why didn't you just look into the camera when you said it because that was bad um, and that's kind of my whole vibe going into this movie. I had very low expectations, especially having just watched three and four, which are easily the worst in the franchise um, for a lot of reasons. Yeah. It's not to say there's not some cool scares in all of these movies. Though. Like there are some good, good set pieces. There's some cool ideas, but it, it to me feels like going through a haunted house at like Universal Studios where it's like you might get scared time to time, but most of the, most of it you see coming and it's not really that original in anything, but a jump scare is still going to get you if you don't know what's about to happen, you know? Yeah, no, I hear you. They should have called it not quite poltergeist, but they didn't. Oh, um, right. They, they definitely didn't call it that. So uh, to continue the I don't know, apparent new trend, uh, I didn't think that asteroid city was quite asteroid city. So is this in city ass, the red door? Oh, God, yes. Um, this film is painfully dull. John, I was bored to tears watching Insidious the Red Door. And the worst part is it the film has kind of fallen into this new convention of horror leaning. It's not a new thing, but it seems to be it seems to be rearing its head more in horror, sorry, which is the kind of we're leaning into trauma, grief and mental illness mm. and metaphors surrounding that. And Patrick Wilson doesn't do a bad job and the team of actually, uh, to start with. It starts off as kind of like this uh, family drama almost. Uh, Patrick Wilson allows the story to to unravel. You know, let, let's, let's remember these characters again. Let's see where they are, you know, in the years or the decade or so after the events of the second film. You know, so we get a bit of catch up and no issue with that whatsoever. But just throughout the rest of the film, John, I want to see some scares. I want to see some atmosphere. I want to see something which I haven't seen before in a franchise, which is five films deep. And this film just felt like it lent so heavily on what came before. You know, it's just showing you all the, all, all the things you've seen 
and it's very much also tying up those loose ends is uh, when you watch the franchise which you have done now all four of them it kind of you know it's, it's connect it connects of course but it never quite felt in we had any kind of finality and this film is very much doing that and we'll obviously get into that more with the uh spoiler episode but uh we uh, and on just on the positives i think patrick wilson does a pretty good job actually of directing this There's some pretty solid directorial flourishes nothing major nothing wild nothing you could ever look at and think this guy is going to be an auteur of the genre because i'm watching this and i can tell that he's a, a student of james one he's a student of lee Wanell because it felt very much like a film molded in their image not a not a not a deliberate riff but you could feel their influence but i think patrick wilson does a good job here of directing the film it's well directed it's well presented it looks pretty good i'll say that it's it leans in again to the the muted palette of the franchise with also very heavy obviously red imagery throughout so when you do get color it, it, it kind of hits you smack in the face but um it's just a nothing film to me jb and that's what that's what's the most annoying part of this is that i'm trying to kind of think now of the best scares in the film uh there's a there's a there's a decent moment uh, which involves an mri machine when one of the characters is having a mm-hmm. scan i was like that's good i enjoy that we're sort of getting ourselves back into that world now uh and there's a very cool scene in the uh, in the intro when patrick wilson uh his character of um mr lambert let me grab his name i can't see his name but um josh josh lambert He's he's in his car and he, he's on his phone, I believe. And a little bit like it follows, just in the background, blurred out and through his rear view. Is that something coming towards him? Is that someone there? Oh, yeah. kind of, it leaves you hanging. I'm like, oh, and that got me intrigued. I thought, okay, maybe maybe we're going to go for something a bit more, I'll say subtle, but something a bit more, uh, a bit more nuanced, maybe than we've seen before in this franchise. But nope the film did fall back into its own conventions later on and like you said it sets things up it doesn't follow them it the with horror films you don't need to um suspend disbelief i don't think because of the you know the general supernatural vibes or the ott vibes you're dealing with but there are times throughout when i thought this is just just feel so uninspired john uh it's painfully dull i didn't find it i didn't find it scary there were no moments in it where I generally thought, oh, crap, I, I, this is the moment where I jump out of my seat or I don't like this imagery because it's giving me the creeps. I didn't feel that. And that is the most, if, if a comedy isn't funny, for me, it hasn't, for me, it hasn't done its job. If a horror film isn't scary, when it's clearly intended to be, it hasn't done its job. And this film, they, they tried to build up that atmosphere and they tried to give you those jump scares, but... It just felt like old hat JB for me. Um, I, I, I'm not going to knock on the cast. I think the cast will do uh, fine work with what they have. I think Patrick Wilson is dependably uh, solid. He's very good at always looking kind of confused or very good at looking scared or bewildered. Uh, I, Patrick Wilson is very good at that in these kind of films. Ty Simpkins, you know, he was the kid in the first films and now he's all grown up and he's been doing lots of other things. And he's here. I think he, he's fine. And the other characters we get his uh his roommate Sinclair Daniel. Sinclair Daniel, yeah. She's she's very cool. I like her. I think the the film needed a character like her just to kind of break up the the funk that it was getting into. And some films like Smile can can do that. They can have this this tone and a sort of dread, dread atmospheric yeah. and dreadful tone because they they've got good writing, they've got good scares, and they've got pretty nasty imagery at times. 
Insidious director or JB didn't do it for me. By the time we got to the end, um, again, no spoilers. I was like, yeah, that's that that's great. I, I don't need to have any setups for any other films. Let's call it a day now because I don't know how well this film's doing at the box office, JB. But if the reception to it is anything to go by, I mean, even the audience score isn't exactly a ringing endorsement on RT, then surely the studio isn't looking at this thinking... We, we we're going to do a sixth film. There, there, in in a hor- in horror, there's always going to be the potential for another film. Look at Freddy, uh, Fred, uh, Nightmare on Elm Street. How many times they kill, damn well kill Freddy, and he always finds a way back. That's the same here, JB. If this film suddenly has legs and makes money, they'll find a way to keep these going. However, I think now is a time to keep that door shut because there's nothing. There is no inspiration coming out of this. There is nothing memorable coming out of this franchise. Nothing on Patrick Wilson. I think he does a solid job directing. I think the cast are fine what they have to do. I was bored, John. And that, for me, is one of the worst sins of a horror movie. Now, you've just watched all four of these films, John. So you, you've got all the lore and, ba- and backstory in the back of your head. Oh, so you might no. have been loving this as you went through. I should have rewatched one um, finding, because apparently this pulls a lot from one, more so than it pulls from two, even though it really pulls from... The end of two is the driving force of the plot of this film, right? Yes. That there is this resentment between the two kids. They don't, or not the two kids, the kid and the dad, uh, that they don't really understand why. Um, there's a lot of memory, like fog, I think is the, the description they use. Um, all of that feels so fabricated and like, obviously nine years has passed or whatever since the, the second one. So like they, they're having to kind of ret- the, retcon the story into that time period because everyone's older. But man, so much of it feels wrong. Like this movie feels paced incorrectly for parts of it. Like it feels like it really drags to get going. It's like I'm watching this. Like, is this a horror film or a family drama? Because it feels way more like a family drama. You can have one. (laughs) But but the horror is always there. Like the the presence of the horror in The Exorcist is throughout the film while still being a family drama. Same thing with Hereditary. Like there's horrific things that happen throughout that make it a horror film all the way around <laughs> it there's parts of this movie where you're like am i watching a college frat party movie frat like thing, what yeah. is going on and that could be very scary mind you it's just mm-hmm. not uh and i re- i actually think sinclair daniel is the highlight of this film mm-hmm. but i think her character doesn't make sense yeah, in no. so many ways and it also feels maybe overly written like they're like they're trying really hard to make her quirky and, and odd and it's like okay but it feels like a try hard it doesn't feel like a real person feel natural yeah yeah i think her performance is great but like juxtaposed to like all of the other stuff especially i i feel like ty simpkins is a w- bit of a wet blanket man like uh, you know he started oh, strong absolutely but it, and, I, I think he's fine in the film because i think his character is firstly he's bloody unlikable but i think he's also kind of built like a bit of a wet blanket and it it doesn't make sense that he's unlikable it makes zero sense and every scene of his art class it feels so contrived and ridiculous like his art teacher is the most <laughs> ridiculously written teacher character like ever and there are some bad yeah, written yeah. teacher characters but like her monologues and like the whole scene where like rip it up i'm just like oh my god what world are we supposed to believe he lives in where this is the treatment that is happening and um uh, you know so much of it just feels so 
so unclear. And then they, they introduce new elements to this already convoluted, like, lore of the further and stuff that I think it, it's like, really, though, like, everybody in this line, it doesn't make sense because then you have Lin Shay's character, Elise, throughout the franchise, who is like a medium. But apparently, this is like John Wick, where everyone's an assassin, like, everyone's a medium. Like, it doesn't seem to matter. Um, you know, there's so much inconsistency with how the the further works and and how the real world interacts with the further doesn't make sense uh at least not within the rules that they seem to be outlying um both cinematically and literally saying verbatim in the film so much of it just bugs me but all that said i said it drags and that led me onto this ramp but then going back to the it drags it also feels like we're missing like 30 minutes of essential storytelling for the movie's third act to really pay off like I, I saw this with tuna actually. And um, we were both like, it's missing something. I don't want to be here any longer, but there's definitely stuff that got either cut out or never filmed maybe because of budgetary reasons, but like very abrupt. it is very abrupt. And it's mostly because it takes so long to get going. By the time you get there, they have to like, just spit it all out. And, and it just, concludes fast and <laughs> snowball effect is a common thing with plot like you go up the mountain and then you fly down the mountain but it shouldn't feel like it's rushed it should feel natural and, and like oh my god all these things are happening because one thing's leading to another it shouldn't just feel like okay well let's just cut out this chunk they'll understand shorthand because people have seen movies that's what this feels like and that's a failing more in the writing but maybe in the editing depending again if those scenes were ever shot um at Wilson's direction, I don't think is bad. There are some shots though that I think are not great. Uh, there's a lot of close up with this weird separation that doesn't really, it doesn't feel right in the scenes that it's happening to me. Because uh, again, I don't think the movie's tone ever is is locked in, and I think that's part of the direction. There is like you have to get me into this. Is this a horror film or is this the drama? And all of it just feels goofy and silly to me, and never really gets either of those in a way that I'm empathizing with the characters or that I'm afraid for my own well-being, which some horror movies I'm like, I know it's a movie, but I'm so locked in that I'm afraid that something's going to grab me. You know, this yeah. doesn't do any of that. The MRI scene uh, is, is definitely the standout. The frat house scene is the opposite. It's like, Oh my God, please remove this from the movie, especially having just watched a movie at Tribeca about frats. Uh, this felt like, like, like they watched animal house for their reference it was like, Hey, you remember how frats were in the seventies? Like, <laughs> and there's like a really bad joke where the guy says something like that. Like, and like the, uh, everyone in the, the room is just like gross, but it's like, yeah. Okay. What's your point though? Why, why is that this scene? What does that say about this character? Like it, it, it does nothing for the story other than give a weird set piece that then has to come back later on to like, it's, Oh, there's so many decisions that you're just like, why? Like you have a really solid idea at, at its core. You have these two characters who have gone through a traumatic experience that have had their memories wiped. And that has made the rift between them all the bigger. That's great explorative ideas, right? Like there's so much you can do there. And this movie doesn't seem interested in that. And it's also doesn't seem interested in creating scary scenes that will, you know, like haunted house style. I mean, there's literally a sequence in, I think it's in the, the scale, the, whatever the key one was called, 
um, where it's oh, it's like geez. the characters in a hallway. No, it's in three. It's in three. She's going down the apartment hallway, but in the further, and like each door is like a different scare, and it's stupid, and it feels like a haunted house, but at least they're like interesting and scary. Like this has nothing like that, and it's it's disappointing. Um, and again, and I'm, I don't think three is good. I just like at least that scene. I remember that sequence vividly. I saw this less than a week ago, and I'm having a hard time recalling a lot of other moments. You know what I'm saying? Like, it's, it's not memorable, is it, John? Horror films don't have to always have that moment in it, but you know, mo- most do. Most do, even if it wasn't by um, by design. This doesn't yeah. have anything remotely stand out or memorable or frankly appealing about it. Like, I've, I watched it about yeah, brr, five days, four or five years ago, and like you nothing like when i'm trying to think cross you know give a bit more give a bit more about the film i'm like nothing nothing stands out there are no moments in it you get to see things you've seen before great but they have been done better before in this franchise Mm -hmm. to me anyway yeah and again i love rose byrne i think she's a tremendously Mm. talented actress might as well not be in this movie like she gets very little to do and that might be they couldn't afford her for very long um and this is a movie about father and son for the most part um but also this movie has uh, the, the younger siblings name is foster. And I feel like naming your child foster would sow seeds of doubt about whether or not you were adopted. Right. Like, like yeah, was I a foster? Like, you know, like it's a weird, and I know that's a real name. It's just like, maybe we should reevaluate the use of that name. Like <laughs> yeah, given sister was called adopted, which is even weirder. Also, I don't remember enough of the first one, but if there was a daughter named Callie in the first movie, she would have been a baby, right? Uh, yes. And she's in the opening sequence of this movie at the funeral for the grandma. Yep. And then she's never in the movie again. Like she's like, I think they like, she's at a camp or she's at her friend's house. I'm just like, man, you didn't need that scene then. Like, there's a whole scene of her, like, like not crying. And then the other kids like, Oh, you don't have to cry or some crap like that. It's like, you, you brought this young actress into this movie for one scene. And then that's it. Like, it's so unnecessary to like convolute an already crazy family plot. You know, again, I don't remember the baby probably was in the first movie. I don't recall. Um, but if not, then that's even more upsetting to me. Like you did not need to write another kid into this, but yeah, so you liked it then? Yeah, favorite movie of the year. Uh, Excellent, best. brilliant. Um, uh, glad we uh, cleared that one up. So I was getting a little bit confused there. Um, on, on the box office, JB, as of to recording, it's the eleventh of July. the The budget for this film is, uh, I think, it's sixteen million. Sorry, yeah, sixteen million. It's currently sitting on just shy of sixty five million dollars worldwide. Yeah. So God. you know, horror Blumhouse film. model man. Well, that's it, Blumhouse. Make them cheap. Get them out there. Get them. Get them. Get them. Just Get, get him in front of people and they, they make money you know the Blumhouse I mean this is a lot of money for a Blumhouse film 16 million but it's my theater was back. pretty packed uh, same and I, I was surprised um, I think people just like horror films which we know that but I think some even for me though the idea of just going to see a horror film in the cinema in the evening uh, surrounded by hopefully a decent audience it'll always get me excited it'll always get me going back to the theater John um, doesn't matter. E- even for those god awful Halloween kills and Halloween ends, even though I knew the special with ends, it probably wasn't going to be very good. The idea of going to see a horror film, especially like a franchise one like that, it, you know, in in in, in the night time, it, it's something about it. It's something nostalgically romantic about it. And I have I have the same for Insidious as well. Not not that I care much for the franchise, but 
I always want horror to win and I always want to go into a film, you know, coming and, and be scared in the way that Evil Dead Rise, for example, this year did. Scared the hell out of me. Loved that experience. Insidious, though, it's for me, this is the this is the final nail for me in this uh, saga. If they keep bringing these films out, then I, I have no idea what, what their plans are going ahead, going forward, my man. Yeah, I I hope I don't have to watch more of these. I, I was not actively excited to review this one. I did do the footwork. Um, I bought the DVD box set of the the, the whole franchise um, that I, I don't foresee ever watching again. Um, I have this weird, I feel like I need to rewatch the first one just because now, but I, I probably won't. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I hope this is the end for the Insidious franchise. I, and I hope they don't do some kind of, you know what? I will, I'm going to pause, say one thing. If yeah. they did a spinoff horror comedy of uh, Specs and the other guy Tucker. before, like, like, cause there's a implication of the third movie that they were complete frauds before. So if they just did like basically ghost hunters with those two guys being like mocking that whole idea, I'm probably in. Um, cause I like, I like Lee one L's other stuff. That's the thing. Like I think mm-hmm. his non insidious films have been really good. Yeah. Um, so I- I'd be into something like that possibly, but <sighs> I don't know, man. I, 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 I get like, the horror comedy vibe, but I can't see it happening just because. Oh yeah. I mean, unless this film keeps going and making money, in which case we're all damned for eternity. But hey, look, this it see this is probably somebody's favorite uh, franchise out there. So you know, no no shade there whatsoever. It just doesn't do it for me. But I I really did wish that um, this film did because you know I'm I, I like Patrick Wilson. He seems like a good dude. I think um, so. I'd like to have seen him do well in his directorial debut. But for me and John. Alas, it doesn't seem to be that way, but uh, we'll have a spoiler episode coming up in a few days' time and we'll go a bit further in, oh, into the further with um, some of the more meatier aspects of the film, if we could say so, but basically the ending and any kind of twists or characters who pop up. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. In it. Now, JB, let's move on to our next segment of the show, which we call Chuffed Headlines, where John and myself, we take a movie or pop culture headline that catches our attention and we share it with you. We share it with each other. JB, what have you gone for this week? I went with um, Guillermo del Toro uh, teases that Pacific Rim uh, is going to get a 10th anniversary um, fun thing. He tweeted um, 
that there's going to be some special, uh, probably like a re-release screening type situation. He didn't give any details, but just given the other movies with their reunions, that's been kind of the trend. Um, it might be like a director's cut. Maybe they'll reformat it for IMAX. Who knows? Um, but the, it, the thing, the reason I picked this is I don't think we talk about Pac Rim enough. I really like Pacific Rim like a whole lot. And I am one of the few who liked the sequel because it felt like a Power Rangers movie. Del Toro's is like legit, really good. Um, we forget Idris Elba is in that movie. Like, it, you know, um, it's one of Hunnam's better performances. And um, it might, it, it, it's a film that I don't think we talk about enough. And that for a 10th anniversary, it's kind of wild that it's been 10 years since this movie dropped. And yeah. so I'm, I'm, I'm excited to see what it is. And I just thought we, we didn't know each other when Pacific Rim came out. So I actually have no idea what your thoughts on P- Pac Rim are. Uh, are you a fan of, of Pacific Rim? I really enjoy Pacific Rim, uh, especially that first one. The second one I wasn't a fan of. Um, yeah, it did feel like a Power Rangers film, but maybe not in the best way for me. I, mm. I, it's another film which I was quite hyped for, actually. I knew that, obviously, Del Toro wasn't back for the second one, but, <clears throat> excuse me, come on, a giant metal kaiju fight. What's not cool about that? Well, maybe the second one. And Boy Ager and that was in it, so I was... I was, I was um, rooting for for him as well but didn't quite work for me first one though is great and you know i saw this announcement uh on online and i was uh quietly excited about what they have to offer because if, if they re-release it at cinemas i'm guessing you're going back to watch it yeah i didn't see it in theater so i would really like to see it on mm. the big screen um i was very late to th- i've been late to a lot of del toro stuff until i started burke reviews um so I would like to see it on the big screen if given the opportunity. Uh, so yeah, I definitely would be in theaters to check it out. Yeah, same here. If it comes uh, to theaters, check it out. And if, if you're a Del Toro or Pac Rim fan, guys, also go check it out because let's get some more money on the board and maybe it'll make him want to do another one, uh, of which I would be very, very excited to see what he could do 10, 15 years later. Yeah, so very excited about that. Always uh, always excited to see what Del Toro has up his sleeve next, even if it is a special screening. Um, my one though, JB, is uh, it's, it's about a new film that's coming out from another respected one might say legendary director, and it is the trailer for Napoleon. It has dropped JB Ridley Scott's Napoleon. The uh, the headline says Napoleon trailer, um, Joaquin, uh, Joaquin Phoenix and Ridley Scott reunite for action epic. Scott and Phoenix return in this first look at Sony's historical epic about the french revolutionary wars commander and of course later the emperor of france um yeah so we've got a new film from ridley scott coming out i i'm interested in the napoleonic wars uh, napoleon uh wellington the prussians and all that kind of stuff leading up to the battle of waterloo in 1815 so i'm very excited for this and i have now watched the trailer twice jb because when i first saw it i remember saying to you it, it's, it's, it didn't really grab me very much um, and it did just feel like um, Whacking Phoenix was just dressed up. It's just it's just, it's just Whacking Phoenix talking. There is no attempt at a French accent, which you could say is probably um, the for the best. But you could I also say, why, why not get a they French actor? Joseph Gordon-Levitt to re- redo his French accent from oh, The Walk. Yes. As they Napoleon. Had, I, and and in. And just dub it, which would have been fantastic. So you've got uh, Whacking Things as a body. Uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt is the, fo- is the voice. Ridley Scott clearly, clearly doesn't know what he's doing. 
uh let's we, we could do this film a little bit better jb um i'm here for that one though so yeah I, i've watched it again and i really dig the the scope of this film i think it was like a big action epic you know ridley scott he only he's only gone and given us things like gladiator in terms of your epics or as the trailer tells you the revolutionary director of alien blade runner the credits go on and on and on so uh really scott doesn't need me to tell him how to make a film of course but um i'm still getting i think i think wacky Phoenix looks great as napoleon i think he looks the part as napoleon the short leader as they called him um so that doesn't bother me it's just i've just got to get used to the voice coming out because napoleon is french he of course and it's like i think it was um there was a, a comedy show I watched once before where it was, it was riffing on the old war films, uh, the black and white war films where everybody spoke English, even the Germans. It's like, why are we speaking English? I don't know. Um, it felt a little bit like that here, but historical accuracy is something I would have liked to have seen. But I think from what I've seen so far, though, the rest of the film seems to be uh, following the lines of history. Let's see how it goes. Of course, there's going to be some liberties taken because we are looking into the life now of napoleon including his his love life uh, vanessa kirby who's been popping up in an awful lot of things recently mm. she is in this film as, as uh, josephine his one true love uh, and we're going to see their kind of back and forward some may say toxic relationship his uh, genius on the battlefield and maybe his rise and fall as well so uh, on second viewing i was uh, a bit more taken by it. i think it looks great and i think it will be really good uh, and you can't doubt um, Whacking Phoenix most of the time. I think he's going to give you a great A performance, and I think he's going to be possibly gunning for an Oscar. But we'll see. But JB, uh, you yeah, see the trailer, you see who's in it and who's involved. What are you thinking? I thought the trailer looked really good. Um, I have read a lot of like reactions, and one of the best concerns I've seen was uh, that the film like covers at least 20 years, at, at the minimum, of mm-hmm. Napoleon's life. And Joaquin looks the same throughout <laughs> it. So like they're not trying to like change that 20 years has passed. And I'm I sure. actually admittedly, and I, I mentioned this to you in our, our chat that I don't really know as much about Napoleon as I should. Mm-hmm. Um, like I'm familiar with him. I know what country he was a part of. I actually, even like time period. I had a hard time. Like when, when was this? So, like I had a Google, when was Napoleon around kind of thing? Late um, 1700s and then kind of early to mid 1800s is the kind of, yeah, target era there, and the, the legitimately the most uh, of Napoleon that I am familiar with is from Bill and Ted's Excellent Adventure, so <laughs> not accurate. Uh, really? But um, this, I, I've grown to appreciate history more through movies. So this is a film that I'm like, oh great, Ridley's going to bring something interesting to it. It looks very cool. Uh, it is, you know, until we see it, how is the biopic presented is always a big thing because some biopics try to do too much and it becomes bogged down with the details mm-hmm. other biopics uh the ones that really have stood out to me go for this kind of alternate approach where we look at like one event and that event shapes their personality and we learn more about who they were as a person as opposed to every single you know wikipedia bullet point about their life i'm concerned it's going to be the latter here and that would be maybe a little boring but i'm definitely excited for it uh more excited than it just being mentioned not to like some iconic filmmakers have wanted to do this. Um, Charlie Chaplin yeah. was majorly obsessed with doing a Napoleon film, but never pulled it off. And then Stanley Kubrick had Kubrick, plans yeah. forever uh, to do a Napoleon movie that was never saw light of day. So to, to finally get this 
movie is a big deal. And I know there's other films that do cover Napoleon in some degree, but I don't think one to this extent exists. No. Unless I, I definitely am capable of being wrong here. But that seems to be my understanding of doing a little bit of research going into this. Yeah, no, there's plenty of films about that era or series about that era, especially the Battle of Waterloo, uh, which was obviously um, the Duke of Wellington versus Napoleon, kind of like the, the final showdown, WrestleMania, if you will, of the Napoleonic Wars. And then, by God, uh, JR, the, the king, the Prussians have come in to save the day. Um, great stuff. Re- actually, very interesting uh, time in history. But uh, So this is really the first kind of look behind the curtain, I think kind of this in this extent of Napoleon and hey look I love Ridley Scott's last film I liked really liked it The Last Duel uh, so I'm hoping we can get something pretty decent like that John there's plenty of meat here to be chewing on that's for sure but um, that then is our headlines for the week and now we move on to media consumption the title says it all what media have we been consuming since the last time we spoke movies TV video games music podcasts which aren't ours Anything we've used to pass the time, we fill each other in on. JB, what you been checking out, my friend? So as I, I I'm going to power through some of this because I don't want to like spend too long just going over all the stuff because it's been a while since we last recorded too. So I think I even left some things out on purpose. But uh, Blank Check Podcast, uh, we are in the middle of the um, Park Chan Wook uh, series. Um, so so far they've done um, Sympathy for Mr. Vengeance and Old Boy. And JSA before that, uh, but I think I talked about the JSA episode on our last um, episode. Mm-hmm. Uh, I am really enjoying getting to check these out. I'm going to watch Lady Vengeance this week, um, and I have like two more of, of Park Chan Wooks I have to check out, but that's on the agenda. Um, I've been watching more TV, though. I have found uh, a lot of um, – I watched – I think I, I mentioned I finished The Bear Season 2. Yep. Uh, that show, if you haven't watched Listeners and Matt – fantastic one of my favorite shows i think maybe all time like it really really clicked for me um that led me to finally going back to only murders in the building season two because season three is about to drop and i really like season one but i was about a year late to season one and then season two came out and i just i don't know why i didn't watch it but season two is also fantastic it is such a good show like selena gomez underrated i think as an actress i think she gets um kind of as an afterthought in a lot of stuff but man she's really great in this show and her chemistry with steve martin and martin short who uh, those two have always had chemistry they've worked together forever um the three of them have great chemistry though and they're just so so likable the other actors in the film uh, in the series are also really good super fun and i can't wait to see what happens in season three um because it's set up pretty cool uh and paul rudd and uh meryl streep are in season three. Oh wow so, yeah like as yeah. if it wasn't already a star-studded show let's get those to it um, super hyped for that. Anything Paul Rudd's attached to, I'm usually on board. Uh, yeah. He's like my favorite. Um, but so I finished that and I, I went a couple days with no TV. I didn't have a show to throw on in the background. I, I like to throw them on when I'm writing and stuff. Cause I'm not as committed to like needing to watch them. I finally decided to start Ryan Johnson's poker face. And um, I'm, I'm kind of worried cause I'm five episodes in and I'm looking at my schedule of movies I need to watch right now. And I don't know when I'm going to fit Poker Face in, and I want to finish the series because I am in love with the show. Uh, should have known as a huge Ryan Johnson fan that I would really click with Poker Face, but it's it's all of it. It's the the characters are great. The uh, cast is phenomenal. Um, Natasha Leone is particularly. I forget how much I like her, but in this, she's like just on fire. Like she is 
in her zone, perfect casting, just rocking it. And then Ryan's style and writing and mystery love is all over the show. And it's just so much fun. Also, Ryan Johnson, such a film nerd, uh, of course, yeah. I think anyone who knows, um, there's so many film references in the series that uh, for people like us, you're just going to like die in, in enjoyment of just like, oh, this is so for me. Like they wrote this for me. This is why this show exists. And I like stuff like that. Um, when you're really, you know, clicking on all cylinders, I have had a blast with it. I want to get to the rest of it. Um, I really want to see before it. I get into, sorry. Um, before I get into movies, I've also, I've been really, really playing video games a lot. Um, I beat Hogwarts legacy. Nice. I put, too many hours into that game and I still want to play it. Cause I like, it's, it's really cool being a wizard in the game. Like, it's just like everyone who read the books or watched the movies. You're like, I wish I had a wand. The game gives you that in the most enjoyable way possible. Yeah. Uh, and it's hard. Like when I beat it, I was like, well, I have all these like other things I could still do in the game, but they are like, they're, they're pretty extra and miscellaneous. And I'm just like, yeah, I don't know, but I've been wanting to go back to it, but I'm like, I have other games I got to play. I have other games I have to play. Um, and one that was not on the list, but I, I ended up with uh, this rental, like mail order rental service. Um, and I got Marvel Midnight Suns. Okay. Yeah, I know that one. I like Marvel, obviously. I, I, I like a lot of the characters, especially. And I, I wasn't really sure what this game was. I, it, it's not, uh, I thought it was going to be like the Ultimate Alliance games where it's like a hack and slash, but overhead with the four, like a dungeon crawler type thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's not what this is. Uh, this is a, a style of game I've never really played, but I guess XCOM is like the big kind of style where it's it's kind of turn-based RPG, but it's still different. Uh, this one integrates kind of like a, um, a card system uh, that I'm having a blast playing, um, way more than I was expecting to. Uh, the story's fun. There's an interesting dynamic of the game that is involves like building relationships with the characters, um, which is both... A little annoying but somehow i just feel drawn to it like i have to do i'm like fine i will do all this you know i'll listen to what she has to say and i'll try to make this person happy um i i i'm finding it to be quite enjoyable and uh i I don't know like i don't know how far into it i actually am but it's it's challenging but not so challenging that i don't want to play it like sometimes games like this will like just push me away because i think it's too hard it's not the case uh it's it's just kind of fun um figuring out the strategies how to win the 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 different encounters um i also like because it is a it's like a setup encounter like you know you're about to do this and once it's over it's over it's not like you know like sometimes god of war you're running through an area and like there's just so many bad guys they just keep coming you're like oh my god Mm -hmm. i just wanted to do this one thing real fast this game kind of gives you the real fast element where like you kind of know that this is the compartment in which you're gonna have to do combat and it it takes a little bit of like anxiety that I sometimes get with video games away. So I'm having a really good time playing video games, probably playing too many video games right now. Oh. But, I, I, uh, but then movies, um, as, as mentioned, I've watched Insidious, all the other ones. Um, blank Checks, uh, Patreon, they're, they're covering all of the Oceans movies. Um, and I had never seen Oceans 12 or 13. Uh, so I finally watched them. And 12 is not very good. Didn't love okay. 12. Really like 13, though. Um, 13's a lot of fun. Uh, oddly, no no females in 13. Um, I was sh- very shocked. I had just always assumed Julia Roberts was in all of them. Mm-hmm. Not in 13. Um, 
but I, I like 13 a lot. I think the setup of 13, although Al Pacino off the chain as the villain in 13, I also did not know he was in that movie until I started watching. I was like, oh, I had no clue I was getting an Al Pacino villain in this. I do um, not remember these films at all, clearly. Yeah, 11 is so good. And I was really late to 11. Yeah. Like, I came super late to 11. Um, I, I, and I just never bothered to get to 12 or 13. I've owned them for a while. Uh, I, I was going to watch the original Ocean's Eleven with uh, the, the Rat Pack and stuff, but I've heard it's just excruciatingly bad. Yeah, so I've opted yeah. to just listen to the episode. Um, and I liked Ocean's 8, actually. I think Ocean's Eight's a lot of fun. Uh, it's not a masterpiece, but I thought it was pretty well done and enjoyable. Um, it was my first, I think, ex- interaction with Aquafina, if I'm not forget if I'm not forgetting as well. And I am a huge Aquafina fan at this point. Yes. So, um, but Ocean's 12 or 13, uh, I, I think 12 is worth checking out, but it's still not. Like, I don't think it's good. Um, Biosphere, a movie uh, that's on my uh, site. My review is up. um, Two guys, uh, Mark Duplass and um, Sterling. Oh, man, I'm going to forget his name. I always like Sterling K. Brown. Brown. Yeah. um, Excellent movie. So quirky, funny, and also really really relevant to the world that we're living in it really mm-hmm. clicked for me i enjoyed it a whole lot it is streaming uh you can rent it like on vod on itunes and voodoo and stuff like that um 20 days in maripol uh one of the most painful in a, i don't want to say in a good way but essential yeah. viewing it's a documentary um captured by reporters trapped in uh maripol or I hope uh, Maripol, I'm not sure if I'm saying that right, in Ukraine Pretty at the start Maripol, of the, yeah. the invasion of the Russian military force. Um, it is some of the most horrific images uh, ever had to look at. Um, so I've cried. I, I bawled multiple times in that film. It crushed me. And um, I, I emailed the PR person uh, asking for images, uh, not you know, not specific, but just stuff I could use on my site. That sounds really wrong in the, the juxtaposition of way I just introduced that. But I was like, Hey, I, I, instead of saying, Hey, I watched the movie this weekend. I was like, Hey, I was devastated by the movie this weekend. Um, do you have any images I can use for the, the review? <laughs> and um, she's like, yeah, it's beyond devastating. It is. It is so hard to recommend in that. I know most people will be crushed or horrified at what you're looking at. But that's why we need to look at it. Um, it is the atrocities that the Russians have committed in Ukraine, yep. caught on video. Image one that I cannot like. You see a tank firing on an apartment building. So if they're claiming they're not attacking civilians, explain that. Oh, they, they this whole illegal invasion is very much everything yes. you probably see in that documentary. But and, yeah, yeah. Uh, unbelievably challenging. It's the second Ukrainian documentary that I have seen um about this and both are devastating this one is just devastating though i feel like uh the other one the rule of two walls that we saw at tribeca um has a sense of hope that maybe things will be okay i don't feel like that happens in this movie i think you're just like nope everything's awful uh this is the nightmare um but yeah uh definitely worth watching um I caught a film that was at Tribeca, but I was not able to see it at Tribeca, but it's, it's getting a theatrical uh, little theatrical release called a fire. Um, it is a German film and Oh man, did it click for me? I totally think it will not click for everybody, but um, I found it so thought provoking. 
And uh, I, I keep, the more I think on it, the more I really enjoyed the film. And it's uh, worth checking out if you like movies nice. that are quiet and contemplative. Um, I do. And then uh, Joyride, which was a movie that we almost had as our review. Um, I, I went and saw it with my wife um, in a decent sized crowd. When we first got there, there was nobody in the theater. And there were a lot of people in our lobby buying tickets to things. So they were seeing movies, just not Joyride. Mm-hmm. And then about 10 minutes in, people started trickling in and uh, like 10 minutes into the trailer. So like they were showing up a little late, which is not uncommon. Um, but they didn't seem to laugh. Okay. Ever. Interesting. Like our crowd, it was like me laughing the most. My wife was then second most laughing. I'm a kind of an audible laugher. Um, and I was disappointed because I, I thought for the most part, it was very funny. I actually found it to be um, very sincere with its characters. And I liked a lot of those scenes even more. Um, it's still, it wasn't as funny or as uh, dramatic as I think it could have been. Like, I think it needed to lean into one or the other. Um, it felt maybe like it was tr- straddling a line a little too much. Um, but the scenes that were funny were very funny and some very memorable moments. And uh, I thought all the performances were really, really good. It, it's, um, you know, like if you compare it to the hangover or uh, like girls trip, these kind of ensemble comedies, yeah, probably um, it's there. Uh, it's, it's in the same league. It's just maybe a little, a little underwhelming by comparison to those like girls trip shocked me how funny it was. It's, I thought a lot of its story though felt a little generic and, and um, forgettable, but the actual comedy overcame that and made it a better movie. And that's, I feel like Joyride's playing it a little too safe in those, not the humor is not safe. Like the humor is raunchy as you could possibly get. But as far as like, it just never feels like it, it's fully committed to being ridiculous comedy. And again, that's partly with my crowd, not fully embracing it, um, which was disappointing. And, uh, yeah, did did you you also saw Joyride? Um, I should have ended with that one, but let's let's uh, real quick. I also saw Talk to Me a second time. I've talked about it before. It's coming out in a couple weeks. Uh, I highly recommend Talk to Me if you like horror films. Good Matt, segue. What did you think of Joyride? Um, you, you you talk to me, and now I'll talk to you. No, okay. Um, dad jokes. Uh, I saw it thanks to the guys at WMD. Um, and I I said to you off air that. A film like this, Joyride, which could be said for no hard feelings, which could go all the way back to The Hangover, Bridesmaids, Ghost Trip, blah, blah. it's either going to be hilarious or it's just going to, or it's going to tank. And I, I mean, your your kind of review kind of puts that to bit bed a little bit, but for me, that's how I see these films. The jokes are going to work or they're not. And with Joyride, I was very much looking forward to this. It's Adele Lim uh, directing. And the cast is super talented, uh, and of course we've got um, got a cast of Asian leads. It's, a, it's an Asian centric film, of course, which is um, excellent in terms of representation. And I th- I did like the film, John. In fact, I uh, I thought it was very funny. The 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 kind of smaller screening I saw it with were were in raptures for a lot of it. Now people are getting really into it. Now that said, not all of the jokes did land. They it is very, a very kind of raunchy comedy there are says a couple of scenes in particular which which was which are very memorable um yes one in the middle and kind of one kind of inciting scene maybe two-thirds of the way through um as well 
But when they did land, I, I really enjoyed it. Again, I think a lot for me, most of the humour came from the little quips and the little gags here, maybe more so mm-hmm. than the actual set pieces designed to that's a good make point. you guffle similar to like no hard feelings recently i I found this the smaller gags funnier uh but uh, no I, I did actually really enjoy joyride and um you mentioned it as well had a bit of heart to it i'll tell you something jb there's a scene later on in the film yeah uh, which is exactly what you're talking about yeah you know damn well it's a it's a recorded message my man mm-hmm. I, I got a lump in my throat i'm i'm yep. I'm, I'm, I'm reaching for the tissues genuinely genuinely was very touching moment very yeah very real my very wife genuine and I both legit tears like streaming down our cheeks during that scene it wasn't just me then yes <laughs> i was so hoping it wasn't just me and and a uh, long time listeners to the bamp know that jb and myself we're sensitive guys you know we're dads we you know we, we can't we can't hold it in anymore if we see something remotely emotional then that's it for us and joyride gone I, do you know what if you told me beforehand i would have said you are nuts but no i you know seen at the end it was they built up to it very well in and amongst the chaos and and i enjoyed it so was it was it the greatest raunchy comedy I've ever seen? No, but I'm just glad that I enjoyed it. I found the the majority of it to be to be very funny. Some parts did feel a little bit. I think he used the term earlier on, but a little bit try hard for me. Where I thought, yeah, you know, they're just throwing references and or throwing words in or whatever, just to be edgy. You know, I, I could do without that. Just, just, the film was good enough not to need to to condescend down there too far, but. I enjoyed it, JB. I had a good time with Joyride, and I think, uh, I hope, wider audiences um, mm-hmm. dive into it as well and have a great time with it because it's. Let, let's bring back the raunchy comedy. Let's bring them back. You know, so let's let, let's bring. There is a place in the cinemas for R-rated comedies, which if you don't like that kind of thing, you don't have to see them. That's that's the beauty of it. If you don't, if, you don't, if you're not into that or it doesn't. Uh, attuned to your sensibilities and or sensitivities then don't go and see it that's fine but there is a place for them in this day and age my friend uh was there anything else you wanted to mention jb before i jump on oh no sir that, that's all for me uh for me then jb i have see i'll be listening to double toasted again or watching them again on youtube the the reviews and the bad movie roasts that they put out always enjoyable uh, in terms of films jb uh going back in time a little bit i watched mad heidi which I know you've seen as well. We both got the screener um, delivered to us, and it's what an hour and a half. I think they call it like a Swiss exploitation film, and it's 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 pretty good. I had, I had a good time with it. It's uh, it's mad. It is very much yes. it, it, it is very much one of those like very typical, very in your face. Uh, excuse the pun, but cheesy films. It's all about the Swiss cheese industry. That if you don't get on board of it, you will hate this film. You will not like this film at all. But if you can stick with it, there's enough here. Again, not all the jokes land. They do maybe get a bit too one-linery as they go along for my taste, uh, even if that is the joke. But the action's fun. And for a film which was crowdfunded, I think it looks really good for the most part. Yeah. It's a very impressive-looking film for a film which essentially has no budget. And I think the leading lady was uh, was very enticing in the lead role. I think she's very, she was very affable in the lead role as uh, as Heidi a different type of type of Heidi to what maybe they were expecting. I think she says, but um, I watched that uh, John, you hurt my feelings, not you, but the film I watched uh, the film. You hurt my feelings, which was uh, the latest film from the writer of. Can you ever forgive me? Nicole Holofsena, who is a very talented writer in her own right. And this one's about a novelist um, and her marriage is gets a little bit of a jolt when, her husband, who's been very supportive of her and very 
uplifting uh, about her book, which she thinks is rubbish. And he's like, no, 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 no. It's really good. Really dig it. Turns out, doesn't really think that. He tells his friend in a store, yeah, you know, I'm only saying that to make her feel better. And, you know, I, it's not really for me. And it's, you know, it's about a couple who, you know, their, their relationship gets strained. And how do they, it's like a slice of life type film. It is, it feels very similar to Can You Ever Forgive Me? That was a Mario Heller film. But it feels very similar. You've got the same kind of music interludes in the background. It's got the same similar kind of colour palette to it. It just doesn't have that film's charm for me. I think You you Hurt My Feelings is perfectly perfectly decent. You know, Julia Louise Dreyfus is the lead here alongside Tobias Menzies. And, you know, they're they're very they're very watchable, but they can't elevate this to a level of something like Can You Ever Forgive Me, which is a similar film, oh. uh, comedy drama. It's it's a good film. It's an A24 film. It's a good, solid film. And um, I like it. I, I, okay, I was going to say, I don't know what the rest of the world is thinking about it, but I thought it was I thought it was good, JB. I couldn't, I, I forgot you'd seen it, John. I couldn't remember yeah. that. It was surprising. My wife actually picked that one out. We went pretty far just to see it. Um, like a good hour drive, although it was meant to be an adventure. We got a giant donut afterwards, so it was really worth it. Oh, God. Um, that was when I sent you the picture of that that uh, fruity pebbles donut. Um, yeah, I need to get I said, one of those. Uh, a donut, not uh, the wife. A donut first and foremost. I mean, um, but uh, yeah, I, we we enjoyed it. Like not a masterpiece or anything like that. It's not going to like change anyone's lives. But I found it very enjoyable and you know relatable. It's it's one of those things where it's like the problems in the film are of the dumbest level, right? Like it's it's very much like you know very first world problem class, type yeah. thing. But I also like okay yeah that's that's your day-to-day life those are the things that you're most affected by is like especially if you're if you feel like your spouse is lying to you about something uh, generally i think most people would expect like don't say the the cruel thing you know don't be you don't have to say the the negative comment to hurt someone's feelings and yet if you've you've been trusting their opinion and then now you've suddenly like the rug is pulled out from under you it would it would leave you reeling, you know, and and so it's relatable. And Juliet Louis Dreyfus, it's just such a treasure to me. Like I I really I don't think I've seen enough of her things. Like I really need to watch Veep. I've heard Veep is fantastic, um, but I loved her in this movie, and that was like the big selling point to me. Uh, even the dynamic with her and her sister, I thought was really fun. And yes, um, yeah, I just I again I don't think it's like life changing, but I, I I feel there's a, a genre of film of like Sunday morning coffee movies. Yeah, hell this yeah. is it where it's nice yeah. and quiet. You're just sitting with a cup of coffee and watching this kind of very dramatic, but also like quiet movie. Like there's the, the, the drama quiet, yeah. doesn't escalate more than it, two people just arguing. Um, and I, yeah, I, I liked it quite a bit. That's it. You've just been to your secondhand bookstore. You've just bought a book. You've sat down with a nice coffee and it's a, it's a crisp Sunday afternoon, and this is what this film very much is. It's fine. Uh, and of and in the film, uh, Julia Louis-Dreyfus' husband, Tobias Menzies, he, the therapist, is going through his own stuff as well. So there is oh. you know, oh. there's that drama <laughs> through it as well. There's, Let's not forget, yeah. Every scene with, um, what's it, who is, who's the, uh, it's uh, David one of his Cross. Patients? Yeah, yeah, David Cross is one of his patients. and But every scene with the patients is hilarious, but the David Cross stuff is off the chain um oh, him and i'm Amber saying Cameron, the same right yes. yeah, yeah, okay. Th- those two scenes are hel- oh my god they're so off the wall like you're just like this guy is a bad therapist he's like terrible <laughs> but like their yeah, reactions are also like they're like horrible people like you're like 
I mean, none of you are good right now, right? Like, everyone agrees that everything on screen is awful in every way, but those scenes are hilarious. Like, I was I was laughing pretty hard during oh, yeah, the sequences. And, and the, you know, the off-the-record professional advice he gives them, I was like, do you know what? I, I'm with you there. You know, mm-hmm. just, just tell him how it is. But with, with David Cross, uh, I know he's obviously a comedian in his own right, but... I just think of the damn chipmunk films, man. My, my oh, kids yeah. love those films. And I, See, I, I saw him, I was like, oh, it's a chipmunk villain. I think of the scene in Men in Black where he works at the video store. Uh, <laughs> yeah, oh, god damn. I, I think that's I a think better, it's Men in Black too. reference. Yeah. Um, but yeah, he's been in so many movies. Like, the dude just, he's good at those bit parts. Yeah. Well, I don't mind him, JB. Uh, I think I think the film was, uh, I think the film was pretty good. Um, maybe I wanted a little bit more, but it's, it's perfectly fine, John. So, uh, I'll continue then with the films that I've seen. Uh, I also saw Nimona, which I know that you really, really enjoyed. Um, it was your recommendation mainly that actually got me to watch it. I would have watched it uh, anyway because it's a big film coming out. Uh, but you saying how much you enjoyed it really made me want to watch this film. And then seeing the cast for this film, you've got um, Riz Ahmed. Sorry, Oscar winning Riz mm-hmm. Ahmed. Chloe Grace Moretz in there as well as everybody else. And then I saw the, cause I'm not, I'm not, um, okay with the story here. I didn't know this was based on, uh, it wasn't, it wasn't an adap- adaptation of something else, but I wasn't aware of that. Um, but the story itself I thought was very cool as well. And I thought this film was delightful, John. I thought this one was, uh, exceptionally good. And there's always that worry when, um, somebody like yourself says to me, watch it because it's great i think i'll, re- I'll go in thinking i really want to watch this because i don't want to go back to um to john burke of all people and say john this was awful not with namona this i i really 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 enjoyed it the uh, chloe grace Moritz and riz ahmed have excellent chemistry the animation is funky really enjoyed the music love the action love the emotion watch it you know just watch it you know don't, don't listen to any don't listen to any of the hoopla online just watched a film it's a it's an exceptionally good film which apparently ne- almost never saw the light of day i think it was a 20th century fox film yeah before disney bought it out uh, of course 20th century studios disney then thought now no we don't need this and it was in limbo until netflix picked it up and thank goodness they did because it is uh, if it wasn't for spider-verse this would be the best animated film i've seen all year uh as such i think it is the second mm-hmm. best animated film i've seen yeah. weird john two of my favorite films of the year are animated uh with those two that you just mentioned being those two like i i dig it uh, i bought the graphic novel for nimona like minutes after i finished writing my review for really? it like, i was like yeah uh super hyped uh, I, I i everyone needs to watch it not to mention shout out to my favorite musician kayflay does the the end credit song t-rex cool um i i just saw her in concert too for the first time it was, she's incredible but the new song is excellent and I, she's done a lot of great soundtrack songs. So like, she's got one of the best songs from um, Birds of Prey and uh, also uh, the first su- the first Suicide Squad movie. I think she has a great song on that soundtrack mm-hmm. as well. But she like gets the credit song here and it, it's, it crushes. So um, yeah. Yeah. if you like the end credit song, check out K-Flay stuff. She's an incredible artist. But That's it. And Jay Burke is telling you to do that. So go do it. It was a great song to end with. And a very, very enjoyable uh, film. Animated or not, doesn't matter. It's a great film. Check it out. Um, and the final film I saw, JB, I'm going to say, nothing about Mission Impossible Dead Reckoning Part 1. Now, I couldn't make the preview screenings for this, but weirdly enough, John, the film was released on a Monday in the United Kingdom. On Monday. 
it released today here uh, on a Tuesday uh, in the states. It's like what's, all, what's it's actually officially out? tomorrow. But like our our theater has showings from two to nine already. So like it's today's like the preview day, but it's almost a full screening day. So yeah, yeah. I mean, when it came out yesterday, it was a full screening day. I saw it in the evening, uh, knowing full well that it was pretty long. Again, I'm not going to say my thoughts on the film because we'll be catching up with that very shortly, uh, very soon on the BAMP. But all I will say is I wish people could learn to go to the bathroom before watching a film because I would swear to God, 90% of the theatre was up and down, up and down, up and down throughout the whole damn thing. Go to the toilet, don't drink, or don't go to the cinema. Please, please, I beg of you. But uh, rant over, JB. Rants can be bloody awesome. We're bloody awesome. But we have to stay bloody awesome each week in order to bring you such levels of bloody awesomeness for this show. So, JB, this is a good one. How have you been staying bloody awesome this week? Well, sir, um, I have been staying bloody awesome with the Criterion sale over mm-hmm. at Barnes & Noble. Um, so, my wife I and I know started... it's really your birthday, by the way, because the Criterion sale kicks off. Yeah, July. Pretty much every year for the, like the last four years, July is the 50% off Barnes & Noble sale for Criterion DVD. DVDs and Blu-rays. It used to be I would go out of my way to go to a Barnes & Noble and browse the physical collection, but their physical collections in the stores have gotten so small, it's usually not worth driving all the way there. Mm -hmm. Um, And my wife and I started using an app about a year ago where you scan your receipts and you get points, right? For every receipt you scan, you get some points, and uh, over time you can cash the points in. And I had collected like 25,000 points, I think is what it is. And I traded those in for a gift card to Barnes and Noble, knowing the Criterion sale was here. So I bought three Criterion movies. I bought uh, Targets, which was recommended to me by Big Tuna because he just uh, reviewed the Criterion Blu-ray. Um, mm-hmm. So I snagged that. Um, I got David Lynch's uh, Inland Empire um, because my goal is to someday to finish uh, David Lynch's all of his content. Um, I now own, I think, all of his Criterion box sets. I think at this point, I have Mulholland Drive. I have Blue Velvet. Um, I have the one that I just bought, Lost Highway, I think is what it is, that came out like a year ago. Um, I haven't watched that one yet, but I have that. Now I have Inland Empire, which was, I think, the last of his Criterion stuff that I didn't have. Um, and then I got uh, Time Bandits because I, I, I'm up and down on the, uh, Terry Gilliam, but I hear yeah. that's like the best one. And so they re-released it on 4K, and it comes with this really cool, like, holographic cover. So I, I didn't own it. I was like, all right, it's time to, to buy this one. I've heard it's his best. Um, the the ones of his that work for me, I really like. And then they're like, I don't think Brazil is great. I don't dislike Brazil, but I'm like, I don't want to rewatch Brazil. But I like, I really like 12 Monkeys. Um, so, you know, I'm all over the place with Gilliam. So I, I hope that this is one that really works for me. A lot of people love Brazil. So I, I'm in the minority, I think, there. But it did oh, I was with you, John. We watched it for yeah. Apocalypse, didn't we? Yes, we did. And yeah, you and I were, I think, and then I think we watched 12 Monkeys also, if I remember correctly. Um, we did. I didn't mind that. No, that one's, I mean, again, very more, it's a little more modern. And it's got Bruce mm-hmm. Willis and Brad Pitt, who I yeah. generally like. Um, but yeah, so that's what I, I bought three movies. I sometimes I go bigger, or I'll buy like a box set. Like last year, I bought the Fellini box set. Uh, I decided to keep the finances a little chill. And again, I, I only technically bought two because I had a gift card for one of them. Um, and I got to give gift shout out to Barnes and Noble because uh, it was it's free shipping over a certain price point. But I got my movies in like two days, and it, nice. I was like really shocked how fast they were. So because. Um, Amazon matches a lot of the pricing this time of year. So like you could just buy if you have prime. Um, 
I'd like to support Barnes and Noble. And Barnes and Noble just started a uh, rewards thing. They've always had like a membership, but you used to have to pay for the membership, and it gave you a discount. Now the rewards thing, you you earn stamps for every ten dollars you spend. Um, and I already got a five dollar coupon for my my Sweet. one purchase uh, with their new free membership. The membership is now free. So shout out to them. Uh, let's keep bookstores alive. I, I would love for them to expand their physical media section out more mm-hmm. because like Walmart and Target, they have dropped the number of aisles that have DVDs and Blu-ray. So come on, Barnes and Noble. That's all you have is books and movies. Like let's keep the, the movies, especially the Criterion because you can't get those anywhere else in person like that. You can't walk into a store and grab a Criterion no, you call. DVD outside of a Barnes and Noble, at least here in the States. So uh, please don't make them smaller and make them bigger. Like let's push Criterion because Criterion is keeping physical media alive. A lot of these movies, this is the only place you can get them is through Criterion. So, you know, um, let's keep the, keep the options open, I guess is what I'm saying. Yeah. What man, about you, JB? Well, I say JB is always easy to buy for, for birthdays and Christmas because we know how much he loves Criterion. Um, you also, yeah, you can't just walk into a, a store in the UK and just buy Criterion either. And now that TCM is dead in the waters in the UK, officially uh. gone, shut down. Let's keep Criterion alive for the people who, who want to keep these, like you say, films, which sometimes you can only get on these streaming series or and, uh, and DVD. Shout out to Arrow too like let's keep arrow, arrow and uh, shout factory and uh their their other one is like shock factory or something there's like Screen two factory. shout factory related things like let's those they're doing cool box art and they're doing cool like special features and and getting all these like finally the interviews and essays like let's keep this stuff alive it's such a cool collectible it's not just great print and that you can't just it won't just vanish out of your room one day um like they can on the streaming services, but you also get cool bonuses with these. And with you get these lots discs. of and, them. New bonuses and, as well. Yeah. And some of the coolest box art, like some of my favorite 100%. box art are from Criterion reprints of things, especially the Wes Anderson movies. So what annoys me about um, Life Aquatic is they, 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 there is a print of Life Aquatic where it's just the, the same cover from the original release. And then there's like the cool art, but like, um, the Royal Tenenbaums art, the Grand Budapest Hotel art is fantastic. Like there's, oh, the Princess Bride cr- Criterion box set is phenomenal. Like, I don't know if you've seen the artwork for it, but so many cool it. things. Um, let's, let's come on Barnes and Noble. Keep those, keep them in the store. Sorry. Rant over, as you said, uh, what, what, how have you been saying <laughs> bloody awesome, Matt? No, no, never, never apologize, JB. But, um, for me, I've been staying bloody awesome by again attending a convention. I say that like it's a bad thing. It's not it's a very good thing for the most part. This weekend, I, uh, alongside uh, Luke from Star Wars Sessions, my friend, we hit London Film and Comic Con at London Olympia. We were invited along to be part of the Star Wars Zone for the second year running, which is a collection of. Um, other Star Wars creators who we are friendly with, but very friendly with in the UK, our buddies, um, are, you know, Star Wars artists, um, Star Wars traders, and guests as well from the films, uh, kind of scattered around the zone and also in the upstairs signing area. Uh, so we're invited to go along there, and it's always great fun. It's very, very tiring, but very, very worth it. We spent you know, three days, we have our own booth, our own table, uh, where we have games and giveaways, and just getting to meet new uh friends and old friends alike uh it's very busy though of course it's very full-on it's very busy people coming up you're talking you're on your feet all day but it's great you get to talk about films and, and star wars it's, uh, and debate it and everyone who goes there even if they don't have the the greatest takes there's never any silliness or toxicity if you will but uh, we go there to get content as well and we had 
uh, one panel. We had one panel with Ingvild Dela, who played Princess Leia in Rogue One. So we got to speak to her for half an hour about taking on the role of Leia. Um, even if it was a short role, she she was a very, very, very cool guest. Um, we're due to have Adrian Rawlins, who is Harry Potter's dad, and Brian Boval to talk about Andor, but due to circumstances outside of our control, uh, we, we they, they, they were unable to make it down, shall we say. So we were kind of left to improvise a 30-minute set, which was uh, interesting to say the least, but we got through that uh, by ourselves. Um, but outside of that, we, we, we got to meet Tim Ware and Morrison. Obviously, Boba Fett himself, he shook our hands, and that was great to see him. We got to nice. meet Danny, Tr- Danny Trejo, uh, we got five minutes on the mics with Danny Trejo. Um, we also got some fantastic guests. We got Natalia Tenya, who is, of course, Tonks in Harry Potter. She was in The Mandalorian. We got her for a few five minutes. Um, Robert Ems from Andor and Chernobyl. He's on the show. Uh, Jessica Henwick as well. Jessica Henwick. We got her for five so minutes. Cool. And my man, that was, <laughs> that was a highlight for me for many, many, many ways. But just on that, we'd uh, I, I'm very I'm very uh, what's the word I'm, I'm I'm one of those annoying people JB who chips away at people if, if I think there's an in every 10 minutes so if you have if you heard we you know we made any progress with this can we can we maybe get Jess Hemmick basically what happened was a fantastic team at Showmasters who got this for us Jess Hemmick was walking out the door she was gone she she was only there for Saturday she was going for I don't know going for dinner Prosecco in bed she turned around walked the whole length of the hall back sat behind her desk gave us five minutes and you know you could just tell sometimes when somebody is present but also they're, they're 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 done you know they're ready to go but she was fantastic very very polite very charming very warm very uh, very charming with her answers as well um about I'm glad to hear that yeah no she really was obviously she was one of the she was in the final two to play Ray in The Force Awakens. Obviously, that went to Daisy Ridley, so it would have either been her or Daisy. It went to Daisy. So I kind of broke to that subject. She gave a really heartwarming answer about how it felt to miss out and what Daisy did and how Daisy approached her on set. And uh, I also managed to give her some props for Love and Monsters as well because I loved that film and I loved her in it. So good. Um, it great, wasn't it? Um, and there are probably other people as well. Excuse my ignorance, I can't remember, but there might be one or two other people. But yeah, Danny Trejo was an absolute firecracker. He was great. Um, uh, I'm sure there was one other person which I am forgetting, but uh, I apologise if there is. I can't remember. Um, but yeah, that was so. It was great to be able to talk to people we've seen on screen for the longest time who have even a small connection to a franchise I hold very dear. That was exciting. And it made up for a few kind of hiccups organisational wise, nothing to do with us, but you know, more from the a different angle, which almost ruined a good weekend. Uh, and, and and also made up for having very tired feet and legs at the end of it. But uh, always good fun at the conventions. I think we're going to have a few months off now before we do another one. Uh, still waiting to get to one of the big ones in Orlando, though. Um, still waiting to get out to hang out with JB for the weekend. Um, and eat my weight in food over there, but and sugar, uh, and peanut butter. A, a horror convention coming in October that my wife and I are planning on going to in Orlando with uh, Kevin Smith, and, and a lot of like the Kevin Smith people are there. I don't fully understand why because it's not for Tusk, although they are making Tusk too. Tusk too um, yeah, I don't think that's why they're there, but because uh, like Joey Lauren Adams is there from like the star of Chasing Amy, so I'm just like what's happening? Why are they at this horror festival? But Hey, they're going to be there. So I'm like, I'm hoping to run into some of them, but 
yeah, that's, that seems to be our current trajectory that we're going to go as guests, uh, not as guests, as paying customers to this festival. We're not invited or anything. But sounds like sounds like John's uh, trying to invite me to a date there. Maybe I don't, I don't want to be the third wheel to you and the wife. I'd rather you guys have a good time. But I would still love to go to that con, though, JB. Now, now you said it, it's put in the back of my mind. But um, uh, I'd very much like to do that. Any time Charles, I can get to hang out with JB would be a chance worth taking, though. So, um, yeah, one day, my friend, one day, and we can uh, compare peanut butter, UK and US types in yes. the context of that we will give it to you on another episode stay tuned for that but that is going to um, do it then for this episode of the bloody awesome movie podcast our review of insidious the red door hopefully it's the last door and it's locked and it's done with now uh, we didn't particularly enjoy the film that much but we'd love to know if you did maybe maybe you loved this film we'd love to know um next week we're going to be talking about mission impossible dead reckoning part one probably the longest title of a film this year. Uh, We've both seen it now. Uh, Maybe we'll see it again beforehand. I don't know, but we've definitely both seen it. We are going to be giving you our thoughts next week. So looking forward to hearing what John thought about that. But if you want to talk to us about Insidious, Mission Impossible, or any films, come find us online. On Twitter, you'll find us at BAMP underscore podcast, B-A-M-P underscore podcast. Where are we on Instagram, John? We are at Bloody Awesome Movie Pod. Uh, we're also on threads as well which is also yep. bloody awesome movie pod because it's our ig handle and we're on there uh, so look out for us there and we will uh, endeavor to post on there as well uh facebook bloody awesome movie podcast and uh the reviews go up on uh on the rot- on rotten tomatoes about to say on rotten facebook you you could call it that on rotten tomatoes yeah look out for our uh review or tomato meter score for insidious the red door coming up this week if you want to find me online you can do just go to what i watch tonight.co.uk and search what i watch tonight across all of the socials including letterboxd and john where are you i'm at burkreviews.com and at burkreviews on all the social media platforms uh yes sir and if you love what we're doing here on the bamp and we really genuinely hope that you do please do consider leaving us a five-star rating and review on your podcast provider of choice and for those who have already done so genuinely thank you very very much we both really appreciate that it gets more listeners in it gets us up the algorithm and listening lists and it's another way to hear from more film fans each and every week but with that as always stay bloody awesome and keep watching movies <laughs>